0: You're listening to The Diplomats Asia Geopolitics Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Putz, uh coming to you from Maryland.
1: And this is Ankit Panda, recording from Washington, D.C. Good to be back, Katie.
0: It's good to hear from you, Ankit. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. I was uh, just out in South Korea earlier this week. And of course, it's been a big week for the U.S.-Korea alliance. Uh, so back in D.C. and uh, yeah, lots to lots to talk about on that front.
0: Yeah, that's quite convenient. Uh, when you were in Korea, the Korean president was in the United States and that's uh, what we're going to talk about today. Um, so I guess we'll just start with with the visit. It was the first visit by a Korean president to the United States, first state visit at least since I think 2011. Uh, and obviously a lot of things have changed since 2011, so um, pretty momentous uh, visit. Uh, in addition, this year marks 70 years of the U.S.-South Korea alliance. Uh, and obviously with North Korea sort of possibly leading up to another nuclear test at some point, uh, there's a lot of tension on the Korean Peninsula. And so there's a lot of focus on on the alliance and what it means and, and where it is going into the future. So Ankit, what's the, what's the framework for this trip? Um,
1: yeah, so, you know, overall, I think the purpose of this was uh, a celebration of 70 years of the alliance. But I think you get to the core uh, of the at least security component of the trip, Katie, which is, yes, the threat from North Korea is growing rapidly. North Korea is talking openly about tactical nuclear weapons. We're expecting a seventh nuclear test by North Korea on the Korean Peninsula at some point. And in this environment, um, South Korea's anxieties are high. Uh, And specifically, the UN administration uh, is trying to figure out what is necessary in this environment to deter North Korea. Uh, And as we've talked about previously on the podcast, one of the places this has gone is a prominent debate well less so a debate and and more really a one-sided set of calls in south korea for the acquisition of nuclear weapons Uh, back in january president yoon himself became the first south korean president since the country transitioned to democracy to openly moot the possibility that south korea could build its own nuclear weapons that i think is important context here because all of that i think has spooked american officials uh, who i think saw this summit as an opportunity to give South Korea new types of reassurances, which is inherent in the business of having alliances around the world. The U.S. Uh, has had to do this during the Cold War in Europe. Uh, you know, a lot about this summit actually reminds me of Cold War era reassurances that the U.S. gave West Germany in the 1960s after the Soviet Union acquired a capability to range the U.S. homeland, for instance. And we've had a similar dynamic play out of the Korean Peninsula. The North Koreans also have intercontinental range missiles that can range the U.S. So the South Koreans have also begun to doubt that the U.S. might not come to their assistance uh, in a conflict, right? And alliance management, this idea of uh, extended deterrence, which has really been the you know, the words that have defined, I think, much of the last week, extended to terms is fundamentally by managing perceptions. Uh, the United States has to convince South Korea that it would come to South Korea's defense, including with nuclear weapons, if necessary. So the summit, I think one of the major outcomes here is this new Washington declaration, you know, very kind of Cold War uh, framing. This was a separate joint statement, specifically on the alliance on nuclear reassurance the Biden administration released. So that's the broader context here. I think the political reaction to the reassurances the U.S. has given are also quite interesting back in South Korea.
0: Uh, Then that's where we should go next. You know, I'm I'm definitely interested in hearing what those reactions were, um, because obviously in the United States, this discussion of extended deterrence uh, on the one part is sort of what is it that we're going to be doing to uh, convince the South Koreans um, that, that we will come to their aid, uh, should there be an attack, that sort of thing. Um, you know, one of the sentences in the, the joint press co- conference that jumped out to me, um, Yoon said, you know, this is gonna include the deployment of the United States strategic assets to the Korean peninsula, uh, will be made constantly and routinely. And it's sort of, you know, that, that the, the pace of, of engagement will be be higher. But let's, let's go to that Washington Declaration and sort of what was the, how was that read in South Korea?
1: Yeah, so the Washington Declaration is an interesting document. There's there's several um, new assurances here. I think the the best way to frame this though is that it's largely a software upgrade for the alliance, right? It's it's less focused on hardware, which I think some folks in Korea are a little disappointed by because we have also seen calls in South Korea for the United States to redeploy nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm look, there's this pervasive idea within the UN administration that only nuclear weapons on the southern half of the peninsula, be they American or South Korean, will deter North Korea, Uh, right? Only a nuke can deter a nuke is the mantra that you sort of hear in Seoul. I think that's quite simplistic. I don't think that's really how the alliance has thought about deterrence traditionally. I don't think that's uh, really an accurate way to think about deterrence. Nuclear weapons might play a role under certain conditions but not all conditions. But nevertheless, the United States uh, has taken this demand for nuclear reassurance seriously. So the Washington Declaration has a few new offerings from the United States, right? The um, President Biden, for instance, uh, personally committed, and he said this at the press conference as it stated in the Washington Declaration, that the United States will make every effort to consult with South Korea on any possible nuclear weapons employment on the Korean Peninsula. Um, that is not something, you know, a lot of people are surprised by this, but there's no requirement for the United States to do this legally. The president of the United States is the only person that can uh, authorize the use of nuclear weapons. Uh, and he or she has no obligation to consult with anyone else. Uh, I mean, at least of all within the United States. Uh, I mean, certainly not with allies. Uh, so the fact that Biden is giving this political assurance to South Korea is quite positive, in my opinion, right? He's basically saying, look, in a crisis we will have a phone line with the president of the republic of korea if you feel like nuclear weapons are necessary or should be used you can kind of call us up and make that point right he can't president Yoon can't compel biden to use nuclear weapons because that's just not how it works but he can uh, you know they can have a line of communication and i should also note here that I think this is a good thing because South Korea might also not want the U.S. to use nuclear weapons under certain conditions. This was an issue under the Moon administration when there were concerns that Donald Trump might go in and attack North Korea, potentially with nuclear weapons. And South Korea would want a way to make sure that doesn't happen. So that's the first new um, innovation in the Washington Declaration. The second is, I think, what a lot of alliance managers like to do when faced with a tough problem, which is create a new consultation mechanism. So the alliance now will have a nuclear consultation group, an NCG. Uh, For anybody listening that follows NATO, uh, NATO has an NPG, a nuclear planning group. So a lot of South Koreans have been wondering, why do we have something similar? Um, There's sort of a variety of things to say here. I mean, the NPG in NATO doesn't really do what we traditionally think of as nuclear planning. It's more of a body to talk about nuclear policy. The U.S.-South Korea alliance has already had Consultative Mechanisms, where the two sides discuss these matters, but now they have one that has the word nuclear in the title. And I think as far as marketing goes, as far as political reassurance goes, this is going to be helpful, although it does, I think, again, raise the salience of nuclear weapons in the alliance's debates. So the NCG has been created, it'll meet at the assistant secretary level, and I think um, it will be one way for the alliance to expand the scope of consultations on nuclear matters. I think what could be interesting with the NCG is if over the long term, uh, it's actually trilateralized with Japan, because that's what the U.S. doesn't have in Northeast Asia, uh, is any kind of um, architecture for talking about nuclear extended deterrence outside of its bilateral alliances. The U.S. has separate alliances in Asia, whereas in NATO, it has an integrated military command structure and a multilateral alliance. Um, The really interesting thing about the Washington Declaration, I think what's irked a lot of the pro-nuclear camp back in Seoul, uh, is that the declaration is a quid pro quo of sorts, right? Extended deterrence is not something the U.S. does out of the good of its heart or out of altruism. It is part of the U.S. non-proliferation toolkit. You know, the idea being that we will defend you with our capabilities, including our nuclear weapons, so you don't need your own nuclear weapons. And so to this end, the Washington Declaration includes a pretty uncontroversial, in my opinion, restatement of... South Korea's non-proliferation commitments. So, you know, just kind of general agreement that President Yoon reaffirmed that South Korea inclin- intends to abide by its commitments and obligations under the non-proliferation treaty, under the U.S.-South Korea um, civil nuclear cooperation agreement. And this has been perceived in South Korea, uh, you know, in totality, all of this, like this new consultation group, uh, Biden's assurances to Yoon, what you mentioned about strategic visits. Some South Koreans are interpreting this as Yoon effectively selling out and uh, agreeing not to build nuclear weapons in order uh, in order to receive these new assurances that don't actually include any forward-deployed nuclear weapons. So the bigger picture here, I think, is this is a temporary solution for the problem the alliance is having, right? The people that want nuclear weapons in South Korea are not satisfied. Things will get worse with North Korea. The North Koreans will do a nuclear test, and we'll be right back where we started, where demands for nuclear weapons will go back up. Um, and... You know, I think we'll be back uh, really in this place where I think it's clear from years of watching alliances in not just Northeast Asia, but Europe. But reassurance is a task that's never really complete for the United States. And I think that's going to be the case with the Washington Declaration as well.
0: I think that's a really good point. Reassurance, you know, it even in just you know, normal relationships with other people, you have to continue to reassure your friends that you're still still their friends. Uh, and, and And I think that applies to international relations as well um speaking of sort of one of the things you mentioned was the the trilateral aspect uh, of relations in northeast asia i think it would be interesting to kind of talk about the korea japan approachmont, I guess we could probably call it. Um, I thought it was interesting that in, in Biden's remarks, he, he thanked Yoon for his, quote, political courage and personal commitment uh, to diplomacy with Japan. I thought that was kind of an interesting sort of U.S. commenting on a, relac- on a bilateral relationship between uh, two of its allies. You know, I think Yoon has gotten some blowback for his diplomacy with Japan in Korea, um, but also I think, you know, on that geopolitical level, a, a workable relationship between Japan and Korea is really necessary for the United States, and clearly the United States is, has uh, at least supported, if not actively pushed for, for better bettering of that relationship. Um, is that a sense that you got, uh, especially when you were in, in Korea, sort of what do people think about uh, this, this um, policy of the union administration to sort of uh, strengthen ties with Japan, um, particularly at this kind of tense time on the peninsula?
1: Yeah, it's sort, of, it's sort of night and day, actually, the, the the conversation on this in Washington and in Seoul. Uh, because you're right, in Washington, I think this has been a longstanding strategic impetus. Uh, South Korea and Japan, you know, two great liberal democracies that are treaty allies of the United States, both with concerns about China and the liberal international order in Asia. Uh, so from D.C.'s perspective, it makes a lot of sense that these two countries begin to converge um, and... Uh, you know as listeners are aware uh South Korea and Japan uh, have a long list of historical issues they have a territorial dispute over uh Tokto uh the island in the East Sea/Sea of Japan um and uh generally speaking uh, public opinion in south korea is quite negative towards japan and continues to be so both for um, you know conservatives generally speaking are more positive but um progressives especially in south korea uh, are, are are quite negative about this and i think the lesson we've learned from sort of re- recent attempts to fix this relationship um including through bold political initiatives is that without domestic a base of domestic political support uh, in south korea uh, and in japan for that matter um, progress is not likely to be sticky. And I think that's what you really come to, you know, the conversations I was having in Seoul about this, uh, you know, everybody acknowledges that Yoon is being politically bold, but not in ways that I think are generating a strong base of public opinion support. You know, he made this comment uh, recently about, you know, Japan doesn't have to sort of uh, kneel and apologize for things that happened a long time ago, which you know, Even conservatives in South Korea were sort of uh, shocked by it and were like, did he really actually say that? Um, and so political boldness, I think, is having the effect of demonstrating to the United States that South Korea is willing to take steps to improve relationships with Japan uh, in uh, in the short term. And there have been you know, meaningful steps uh, to normalize the relationship. Uh, South Korea has removed Japan from its export control risk uh, list. Um, the, the two countries have normalized their military intelligence sharing agreement. There's more trilateral coordination on North Korea. There's plans for real-time information sharing. But uh, the risk here is that, you know, Yoon eventually leaves office um, and another South Korean president comes in. Uh, If that president is a progressive, for instance, it's very likely that we end up um, back in a place where relations between the two sides are not good. So that I think is the problem that I don't see an easy solution for. It's not a solution that the United States can engineer, uh, no matter how much Washington might welcome this uh, Rapprochement. So uh, overall, uh, it's um, it's not something that I think UN is likely to succeed in in the long t- in the long haul. Right. The other thing is that all of those kind of structural factors that I described that should be bringing South Korea and Japan together, uh, if con- if things continue to get worse in the region with China with North Korea. It is possible that successive governments will see enough reason to cooperate, that many of these nagging issues um, will sort of be on the back burner. Uh, They'll still continue to simmer. I don't think they're going away anytime soon in a comprehensive manner. Um, But that, I think, is the only way that I see this um, changing
0: yeah, that ma- that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, and and obviously, on the u s. side, too, there could be a change of administration in Washington, and that could impact uh, the United States's approach to to these these alliances, um, though hopefully there's some more um, stability in the structure of them. Uh, but we shall see. Uh, I guess before we close out, I'll, I'll just ask you: You know, is there anything else in in this this visit that you want to highlight? I know there was there was talk about uh, next generation technology, supply chain issues. Sort of the technology and economic aspect of the relationship is really interesting, um, and so maybe that can sort of close out our discussion.
1: Yeah, no, there was a there was a lot on that front. I mean, I think we'd have to do really a kind of a separate episode on kind of South Korea and 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 U.S. approach to. Uh, cooperation on sensitive technologies, semiconductors, uh, where, you know, the two countries have some differences. Actually, just going back to the alliance for a moment, I mean, one of the things that I thought was really significant uh, and and a pretty positive development was the um, Washington declaration includes a remark that South Korea's new strategic command, uh, which is the body overseeing kind of South Korea's autonomous military capabilities capable of striking North Korea, uh, will now be integrated with the, US, um, with the U.S.-led Combined Forces Command, right? The U.S.-South Korea alliance is unique in that there is a true combined command where uh, an American four-star uh, flanked by a South Korean uh, leads the military operations of the alliance uh, in a time of conflict. So I think having that integration between South Korean capabilities and the broader Combined Forces Command structure Uh, is positive for operational planning. And I think it's also positive for managing escalation in a crisis. The South Koreans, Mm -hmm. you know, this has been a longstanding concern for the United States that South Korea in a crisis might be compelled to respond unilaterally to North Korea in a way that could be either disproportionate or escalatory that could have implications for the alliance as a whole. So I think better integrating conventional capabilities uh, as as i think the statement indicates there's an intention to do is pretty significant it's not going to get a lot of headlines cuz you know the big uh, you know nuclear word isn't in there yeah. but uh, i think you know it's conventional deterrence continues to be about you know 99% of how the alliance practically deters north korea i think because you know Uh, crises will turn into conventional wars first. Uh, North Korea is likely to use nuclear weapons first, but the alliance itself, I think, is likely to be more restrained. Mm -hmm. So these conventional capabilities, I think, are actually quite meaningful. And this is what South Korea relies on day to day, right? South Korea relies on a very sophisticated array of conventional military capabilities as a non-nuclear state. So, I mean, uh, just a closing thought, Katie, I think a lot of this concern you hear in South Korea about the need for nuclear weapons, that only nuclear weapons can deter nuclear weapons, actually has the effect, I think, of undermining everything South Korea says about its own deterrent, which is obviously not nuclear. So when you have the president and advisors kind of questioning the sufficiency of the conventional deterrent, uh, I think that's not a great message to send uh, to the North Koreans. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think I think the, the lesson from this summit is that, you know, this is going to be a continuing work in progress for the United States and South Korea. Um, But, you know, hopefully this software upgrade that we've seen with the Washington Declaration um, takes us in the right direction.
0: All right. Well, thanks very much. Always for an interesting conversation, Ankit. Uh, To our listeners, please uh, recommend us to your friends. Leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, please get in touch if there are topics uh, you want us to explore. We're always listening uh, and have a great day. Thanks, Katie. Talk to you soon.